Hey everyone, welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. I'm Loren, and I will be interviewing some of the top leaders and innovators from the dance and acrobatic industry. If you are a teacher, performer, student, or a lifelong learner like myself, you are sure to find these episodes intriguing and full of inspiration. Acrobatic Arts is passionate about providing current and relevant information for everyone. So please, sit back and enjoy as we share our passion with you and the world. Today we have part two of our special series with Dr. Leisha Strawn. Join us as we continue our captivating journey talking about transitions in the dance world. Dr. Leisha Strawn, welcome back again to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to talking about this more. Anyone that listened two weeks ago to the podcast that we put out with Leisha, we were talking about transitions in dance and sport, personal transitions, and also transitioning from performer to teacher. And we never really got finished because there's so much more that we can talk about. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that Leisha has been interviewed before by me. She's very popular with our listeners. One of the reasons we keep having her back is because of her experience and knowledge. She is a researcher and a consultant with sports psychology. So she brings a lot to the table and we can't wait to continue the conversation that we're having. So talking about transitions, sometimes we have injuries and that forces a dancer or athlete to reconsider their career path. Alicia, how can these dancers cope with the emotional and practical aspects of transitioning due to injury? This is a really great question. And of course, again, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm a huge sports fan. I I watch really any sport. And even right now, the World Track and Field Championships are on. So I've been watching that quite a bit. And injuries, as we know, are just a part of being a performer in sport or in dance or really anything physical that requires you to do any type of repetitive movement. So even musicians, people who are chefs, like there's all, everybody, you're always prone to injury at some point. And sometimes those injuries, of course, can be very either debilitating that happen over time, or there are things that can be very acute that are, are things that just, that happen on the spot that do end someone's career uh, in a more of a dramatic way. So it is important to um, to prepare for that. It's important to think about how we're developing dancers so that they're able to think about how to, how to cope with things that happen that are unexpected. And those can range in terms of scope when we think about things that are unexpected that happen within our context, within our spaces. Again, I have to go back to the literature and understanding that. And so American researcher, uh, last name Slawlisberg in 1981, so a long time ago, came up with these four S's in terms of thinking about how to cope through transitions. And these four S's, you know, how many years later have still really held up quite a bit in the in the literature. So when you're thinking about how we're having dancers cope with all these different aspects in terms of transitioning, whether it's due to injury or any other unexpected thing that might happen, um, we have to think of the four S's. So it's situation, self, support, and strategies. 
when you don't have control over something as you're leaving, uh, as you're leaving a, a particular activity, it can lead to crisis. And um, and so as a, someone who's in sports psychology and has worked with some athletes who have gone through injury or have seen them have a great season and then have an injury and thinking about then how we're coping um, and leading through transitions. And as an aside, you know, I worked with our university soccer team for, for five years and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a short, uh, I see transitions all the time because it's a, a long time, but it goes by really quickly, you know, five years, if you take the whole five years that you're doing within a program. And I've seen many athletes towards the end of their five years, maybe have an injury that then takes them out. And there's no opportunity then there to re-enter because they've now finished, they're finished their five years and, uh, and they have to move on. And many of them don't go on to professional careers in sport. And so like this is sort of the highest level that they can perform at. And that can be very daunting. So understanding uh, the situation, right? So coming to grips with what had happened, you know, if there's anything that's sort of triggering uh, that, you know, that you might need more help thinking through and talking through as you're going through the transition, understanding that, you know, your role is going to change and whether that's a role out of, of your activity due to injury um, and thinking about then how can I still be a part? Understanding yourself, right? So understanding who you are as a person, um, reading more things about resiliency, you know, um, optimism, those types of things are really, really interesting, uh, interesting to learn and know more about when you're going through a situation and trying to cope with a situation. Support, so understanding who your social supports are, family and friends, communities, you know, studio, what your studio family is like, and if you can uh, rely on them as well through coping. And last thing is understanding strategies, you know, strategies that you might have. So even if something feels out of control, now you do have the control to think about how you're going to actually persevere and move forward, right? So that control is totally within your, your purview. And what we would work with athletes on is thinking about what are the things now that I can control? So what can I modify? How am I managing the stress around it? And what types of things have I given myself to, to help with that? Uh, and understanding that, you know, having that flexibility is really effective and can be really effective strategy um, when you're thinking about how you're coping through all these things. I think that's wonderful because sometimes injury is out of our control, but then you're actually giving these dancers and athletes something to have control over. And really that's all we can do is control the things that we can control. So absolutely, what a great reminder. Would you happen to have any stories of dancers that have turned their experiences with injuries into maybe opportunities for growth? I'm really inspired actually by uh, athletes and, and others who have gone through many situations that they really have no control over yet have found a way to think about how to reimagine things. So, you know, it's not an injury uh, thing per se, but I think going through COVID and, you know, we know that there was uh, were so many dance studios that had to close during COVID. And uh, and one of those dance studios was a studio that I was teaching at when I was teaching acro and baton twirling um, for five years at the studio. And, and they closed quite early on in the pandemic because they were in a smaller venue, like a, a smaller city, and just couldn't cope with the shifts and the lockdowns and the openings and closings that were that were happening, of course, a loss of revenue. So 
my story around that revolves around that studio owner. You know, she had owned the studio for 13 years and it was really growing and uh, it was doing really, really well. You know, just going through COVID and having her make that decision, you know, she's, he's mature. Uh, she, you know, had three kids that are now grown adults. So, you know, and, and for her, it was an opportunity. You know, I think she, what was inspiring is she saw that as an opportunity for growth and thinking about, okay, well, what are things that, you know, I've really enjoyed and what's the skill set that I've amassed through my, uh, not just only through my dance degree that I completed, but now being an entrepreneur and, and what are other things that I want to learn about? And she is a, a black studio owner, a black woman, and there's not many um, black women in our province who own studios. And so I think coming out of that, she had a lot of uh, questions and she always had a lot of questions around black dancers and understanding some of the the research around um, being black in dance and, you know, some of the challenges, you know, historically that um, black dancers have had to uh, understand and go through. So she actually ended up coming and doing a master's with me and completed her master's last year uh, where she was, you know, doing that, just that, uh, looking at understanding racism and um, ethnicity within the context of dance programs within Canada. So those uh, universities that have dance programs and understanding uh, race and ethnicity within there and, and finding in her research that there was quite a bit, you know, quite a bit of racism uh, within those spaces and understanding then how can you make those spaces more safe for um, dancers of color. And that has spurred her on to continue and do a PhD, which is really exciting. She's just going to be starting that this fall. And she was also hired by the Roland Pig Ballet here with their um, pre-professional program to talk to those kids, you know, to be sort of a mentor for them um, in terms of understanding a little bit more about race within dance spaces. And, uh, and she's done a lot of great work with uh, young people there, you know, answering questions and uh, also encouraging them to be advocates. And it's really exciting. So it's, you know, she kind of has now this whole new area, but that's still really steeped in her experience as a dancer herself, but also as an entrepreneur and as a dance studio owner. And, uh, and that's really, you know, been, been something that when we think back about the shutdowns as as sad as it was to to close her studio, you know, she's really been able to think forward and think about, okay, what are those skills that I have? And what am I interested in, in now? You know, my kids are grown. I'm, you know, I, uh, you know, what are some things that I really want to pursue myself and questions that I have? And, you know, there's no time like the present. So the courage that she's shown, I think has been really inspiring, blessed to call her friends, but also just to be a little part of her journey as she's been, uh, going through it. So yeah, so I think we really have to think about what who inspires us. And there are so many more stories like that, if we take the time to unearth them, and find them and read about them. Um, there's so many things we can learn. Definitely a case of when one door closes, another one opens. Absolutely. Yes. Whether it's injury or a shutdown, or we're going to start talking about retirement, that's also when, you know, you close a chapter in your life and then move on. We often develop a strong identity tied to the profession. Whatever you do, that's sort of how you label yourself and that's who you see yourself as. But how can dancers manage their self-identity when retiring from performing? 
That is such a good question. And again, anything related to athletic identity is is very well researched in the literature. And same things uh, happen for dancers, as I think happen in many other aspects. You know, I, I think retirement is always a really difficult transition to go through. And it seems very final. I know my mom was a teacher for years. And I think even watching her go through that transition of retiring from teaching, you know, she still went back and was a substitute teacher for like maybe three or four years, even after retiring, you know, because of um, the passion that she had for teaching and wanting to help young people. So I can see that that's always really difficult. And she saw herself as a, a teacher for all those years. But I think when we're thinking about identity, it's okay, it's okay to have that identity because it's something that you're proud of. But we do have to think about having a, a healthy identity, right? And remembering that you're more than a dancer. You're more than just that identity. You're human with lots to offer, right? And um, and that humanity piece then really has to come in. So, so you know, so in terms of managing that self-identity, we do want to think then, you know, how are you connecting with other artistic passions that you might have, you know, are you finding ways to continue contributing either through volunteerism or through mentorship? And if that's a little part of your self-identity and you want to be a part of that and you're, you know, retiring from that, I think, I think people still always hold on to the identity. You know, even if I retire from being a professor and somebody asks me, you know, you retired, well, what did you do? You know, <laughs> so you always are, are connected to that. And I think we just have to think about how we're doing that. And then, you know, have other things that, again, that we can pull from uh, and then think of what are those human connections that we can also think about making and all other contributions that you want to have in order to leave the legacy at the end that you that you want to leave. Do you have any memorable cases where dancers have smoothly transitioned from the stage or competition into other creative or non-creative fields? I'm not as connected to uh, to the dance world. So I, I had a hard time maybe thinking of particular dancers that they can think of. And I'm sure people who are listening probably can think of dancers who they've been able to interact with and see them either smoothly move from being a dancer to, um, to maybe those having a professional career. And of course, as women, you know, people are thinking about if they're interested in having children, when, when does that come as a dancer, you know, and how, um, so I've just read lots of books from some dancers who have been able to have children and sort of navigate that coming, coming back. If that's something that they want to come back to, or if they can't come back, how do they then use the skill sets that they have to have a career either in, in choreography or in teaching or in stage acting, um, you know, moving to other uh, creative fields. One person that comes to my mind is actually my sister-in-law, who's not a dancer at all. And she will say that <laughs> vehemently right away, like, I'm not a dancer. But, um, you know, I've, I've been able to see her and, and seems so seamless. And I know it took a lot, obviously, a lot of effort. But, you know, she was um, a has her first degree in operatic voice. So is a opera singer and, you know, then did a short career in uh, working in the arts, uh, you know, arts industry for um, Royal Mantle Theater Center. You know, I think it was through her pregnancies where, you know, she just started thinking about other things that, you know, she could do and was interested in. And that took her to then into law and uh, having a career now as a lawyer. 
But even through that, and then, you know, an additional you know, thing on top of that is I really firmly believe that everyone has, you know, creative and artistic passions. And I think as people in the arts who are listening to this, you, you know, that not just dance, but really other um, passions that you might have. And she's an incredible writer, you know, and I think um, has always been interested in writing. And again, COVID gave her that space a little bit to think about and re-envision like, you know, I've always been thinking about writing, like why, what I have time now, like, let me see what I can do now. And in the last few years really has um, made a mark, you know, in Canada as a, a novelist, uh, you know, as a short story writer, you know, has been a finalist and won many different competitions. And, you know, I think finding that additional um, career now that things are open and we're kind of back to, to normal a bit, it's, you know, now a challenge to try to fit it all in, right? being able to find those spaces. And, and then she kind of just finds those weekends where she, maybe she can steal away a bit from my brother and <laughs> my, my nephews to sort of like find space to write and, uh, and has continued doing that, you know? So I think it's in that smooth transition, you know, it's never, it's never totally smooth, but I think that if you've been thinking of something, you know, it's important then to pursue it, right. Whether it's just starting small or thinking about how you can engage. And, you know, she will say that, the writing has really helped her, you know, to even be a better lawyer, you know, in many ways, because she's been reading a lot herself, but then also putting things to paper, you know, has really allowed her to then when she's teaching lawyers or engaged with young lawyers, being able to share stories more and, and understand how to do that more. So, so I think, you know, there's a lot of um, skills that we have that we then have to think about how we want to use those skills. And, and we don't have to do it on our own, right? We have families, we have friends, we have people who who see a lot of gifts in us that we might not ever think about or see. And so I think it's important to call out to those people as well, right? To help manage that retirement and have people to talk about as you're going through that transition. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. Very inspirational and uh, congratulations to your sister-in-law. Yes, amazing. Another transition that will come in everyone's life is age and getting mm -hmm. older. So how can individuals gracefully transition into roles that will align with their changing physical capabilities and interests? I mean, the first thing I think is thinking about how you're, how realistic you're being, right? It's important to be realistic about what you can contribute. And as we spoke about in part one, the idea of planning, right? It's really just important to, to plan, you know, just like we plan for retirement, you know, we're thinking about, you know, how we're going to be able to manage our finances through that. We do have to think too, about how we're going to manage ourselves, right? How are we going to manage our souls also through this transition and, um, and start to plan for that. So as you mentioned, you know, we all get older. This is something inevitable. It's something that we can think about before, you know, uh, knowing that it's coming. Um, so you have to remember that you won't be able to do everything, but you do have uh, a lot of wisdom to share. And then thinking about then how can you help? You know, can you mentor someone? Can you offer help to share your knowledge somehow, whether it's through a podcast, right? Or, you know, starting your own podcast. I don't know whether it's through, um, you know, just offering offering your services to assist maybe at a dance festival or you know whether it's through adjudicating or whether it's through uh, just one-on-one -on -one, uh, help with someone who's 
thinking about opening a dance studio and you, you've done it and you've gone through it or thinking through choreography or thinking through something. I think that, uh, you know, we can, again, put those things in place where we can let people know early that we're interested in, in doing that. And I think people don't know if you don't put that forward. So that's part of the planning, right? Is starting to early on, starting to think about or talk about to others, you know, in your community or, you know, um, in your studios or other teachers or whoever studio owner is, you know, this is, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to do this, you know, and, and seeing if they're open to you accepting that, uh, that mentorship and that help. But yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, ways to think about that, but we do get older. So mm-hmm. it's just important to be realistic and start to plan. Alicia, we do have to wrap up this. We could go for part three, but I think <laughs> I think uh, maybe we'll save that for next season. But what advice would you give to dancers and dance teachers who are maybe facing significant life transitions within the dance world? I think a few things. Read, read about others who have been successful in the transition and learn from them. You know, none of this is new you know, research in transitions and retirements has been around for like 40 years, 45 years. And we all know all through history, people have had to go through all types of transitions. So others have done it and others have been successful at it. So speak to them, you know, or ask for help if needed. I love reading books and biographies about people. So if there's someone who you admire, like find a book that they have and read about them, but don't do it alone. You know, support is key. And so uh, you have to have others to to help as you move through. And so um, so be vulnerable enough to ask for help and get the support that you need, but also just, just learn from others and know that you're not the only one who has gone through this and to just enjoy it. Enjoy it, be in every moment of each stage and accepting where you are. See it as an opportunity to to learn more and gain more knowledge instead of an ending to something, you know, it really is each transition really is a beginning into something else. Yes, it ends something, but it's also a beginning. And so I think if we can think of those transitions as new beginnings instead of endings, I think we go a long way to making sure that those transitions are really healthy. Dr. Alicia Strawn, thank you so much. As always, it has been a pleasure and I definitely enjoyed our time talking about transitions. Thanks so much for having me and uh, all the best to to everyone as they uh, continue in their own journeys. Another wonderful episode with Dr. Alicia Strawn. If you would like to continue with your professional development, visit acrobaticarts.com and find the course that is perfect for you. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.